and welcome to another edition, yet again, of The Dice Are Screaming. Aww. With your host, Randy Patton. And Michael Hanna. Right on, and we are rolling right into our Friday weekend mode, so we're bringing you along with the ride. Hope you had a good week, and uh, you've got some gaming going on this weekend. Hope that it's going to be good for you. If not, you know, hang out with us. We're going to go and revisit some lore of the past here in yes. the tree today. So we're going to keep you in stitches <laughs> with suspense. Ah, yes, yes. We're suspending you. Ah. So hang on to your suspenders. Right. <laughs> we'll, back, we'll be back after these messages from... Call-ins! Yes, we got call-ins, lots of them. So, we're going to start out first with some fallout from our Gamma World podcast with Glenn Halstrom calling in. So, let's hear from Glenn. Hey, Mike and Randy, Old Man Grognard here. Okay, one last addendum to the Gamma World post-apocalyptic scene. Uh, Came out, oh, about within five years there's a game out there called Atomic Highway, and it's free on the One Bookshelf sites. And it's if you want to play more post-apocalyptic Mad Max, that's the game to get. It's fascinating. I've never played it, but I read through it. I love the system. And not only do you get a character sheet, you get a vehicle sheet. So it's like Gamma World mashed up with Car Wars or Mad Max, I guess. Also, the supplement for it, Irradiated Freaks which puts the mutants back in there to that game. Both of those are free on the one book shelves. So give them a check out. They're really good. Talk to you later, guys. Bye-bye. All right. That was Glenn Halstrom from Grognard Radio, also known as Old Man Grognard. Thanks, Glenn. Yeah, um, we didn't get to publish that last one, but uh, we're touching up on it now. Thank you for that, and we'll definitely look that up on one bookshelf. Atomic Highway. Also... Like, people have been mentioning One Bookshelf, and uh, I am notorious for not being as fully wired into uh, modern available things on the interwebs. Uh, yeah, that's made clear by the fact that I still jokingly use the term interwebs, which is probably also about 20 years out of date. Uh, <laughs> so hearing about One Bookshelf was just like a godsend. Thank you so much. Yep, and we'll definitely be checking it out. And also, thanks a lot for uh, calling in and uh, letting us know about that stuff. Our Gamma World uh, definitely touched on a lot of people's feels, so hopefully uh, we'll be able to capitalize on more stuff like that as we go through. But uh, now we're going to go and turn over to Larry Hamilton of Follow Me and Die. (laughs) He's got some stuff to say about our Paladins episode. So take it away, Larry. Hey guys, good episode on the Paladin. This is Larry with Follow Me and Die. I saw the title of your episode was about Paladins, and I was immediately reminded of an article on the blog Don't Split the Party from way back in June of 2014. Good isn't stupid, weak, or nice, and it's about how to play a Paladin. And I'd recommend anybody that is going to encounter a Paladin read that, especially dungeon masters and those who want to play a paladin because just because you're good doesn't mean you're stupid it doesn't mean you're going to ignore certain things um and you shouldn't be 
just sitting there and letting people kill you unless it is actually part of the role play experience. So good episode. I appreciate it. I look forward to what you have to say about the other classes. And this is Larry Follow Me and I again. One other thing is detect good or detect evil is not an automatic thing. Just because you adhere to the alignment system in a role-playing game, the way I understand it is the only creatures that actually radiate evil are going to be truly great, powerful, evil creatures. So evil undead, demons, devils, dragons, things that are greatly powered. If anything, anything that's not super powerful like that, if you do have anything, there may be going to be a little tinge of evil and not, bing, they're the most evil thing that's ever existed. Not every goblin is as evil as Orcus. Anyway, that's my two cents. All right. Thanks a lot, Larry, for those insights. Um, yeah, it's really good to go back over the Paladins discussion because there are a couple of high notes I wanted to hit on. And uh, you really just happened to nail one of them that I totally let slip. Um, evil detection. It is not a freebie. No. Uh, it is an activated power. You're, you're not supposed to just walk into town and, like, the DM then tells you everything that, you know, that guy's evil and that guy's evil and that lady over there is pretty evil and, uh, hey, that kitten is a little on the shysty side, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, no, it doesn't work like that. It's either they tell you, I am actively concentrating on searching for evil, I use my power, or you get nothing. The DM is obligated to give you nothing. Good day, sir. Yeah, and concentration. I said good day, sir. You know. <laughs> Calm your mittens, sparkle pants. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> concentration is a big thing, and so the paladin has to take time out to use the detectable powers. That's very, very poignant. And uh, again, the and, evil of a merchant who is shystery and miserly is not going to be the same evil as from a lich. Yeah, uh, exactly. I especially like that you make the distinction between, you know, sure, there's stuff and or people that is evil, okay, sure, but not radically. Now, whereas you start talking about, uh, oh, um, the actual physical idol of a uh, evil demon. Like, you know, which, moment. Now, that would have like a neon sign over it going, live, nude, evil. Uh, huh. and, <laughs> yeah, it's a palatable evil that not only can be detected, but it can also be felt without detect evil. Even some characters in going into a very uh, evil temple, temple of elemental evil, anyone, will feel the presence and dread. So that there is, of course, a, where you would kind of give a freebie, but it's also pretty obvious. But yeah, that, that would be the only circumstance where the DM just hands it out like candy. The rest of the time, you play the cards close to the vest. Yeah, but like a succubus, uh, fully veiled with her disguise, uh, shape-shifting powers, you might have to actually suss her out. With and a detect evil spell, rather than just like, bing, she radiates automatic evil. Yeah, and a paladin can be cunning. You know, they do not have to be lawful stupid. No. Uh, it does not equate being a sucker. 
it does mean that you're kind of handicapped in the extreme nature of actions you can take, because the chaotic neutral fighter can go, Oh, you tried to pick my pocket. I'm gonna hang you from the town walls after I dunk you in a privy. Um, no. The Paladin, on the other hand, is more honor-bound that if it's, if it's not murderous intent, then they should probably let the law handle it after they neutralize somebody. You know, let him live, but hand him off to the law. Yep, and uh. also for people who use... But murderous intent? Oh, they have no reason to let that slide. No, people who use uh, deceit and cunning on a Paladin do not automatically invite a beheading, but they do invite the wrath of the law. And where the law can be enforced, of course, that's where the paladins shine the best. But, um, again, thank you, Larry. And, uh, yeah, that blog uh, post, definitely looked that up. I uh, checked it out, and, yep, real good stuff on that. So, speaking of moron paladins, we have not moron paladins, but more <laughs> on the paladins. <laughs> Phrasing! Uh, <laughs> We have Darren are, are, Green. Are, are we not doing praising anymore? Okay, Darren Green, hello. Yeah, he's going to be uh, coming at us with his take on our Paladin podcast. Hi guys, Alfred here. Um, loved the episode on Paladins. It was nice to get your opinions on the, the Paladin class and uh, give them a bit of love, really. Um, my current character is a Paladin. Um, really enjoying it. I know a lot of the OSR guys don't like uh, sort of mixed race, but he's a half orc, um, so I get to play him as a paladin, and, and obviously all his uh, good sort of virtue, and um, always trying to protect the weak and the innocent, and um, slay the evil. But um, he's also got a bit of a a, a bad temper. So um, I'm always battling with his temper from his sort of orc side of himself um, against his his good side. So really enjoying it. I think it's a great role-playing opportunity. So, yeah, loving it. Keep up the good work. All right, and thank you, Darren. Um, Oh, yeah. I loved uh, the idea of a half-orc paladin. It's one Mm -hmm. of the things... Look... uh, I, I may have one foot in the old school, but I've also got one foot in the new. Uh, I always wanted to play a half-orc fighter cleric uh, back in the first edition days with Paladin Envy, where, you know, he was just a, a conflicted heritage and really all, a, you know, very much a pious individual who wanted to do the right thing and, uh, you know, just... Couldn't oh, yeah. qualify for Paladin class. And then, of course, they opened things up in the 3rd edition and after. And now these things are completely plausible for active play in any campaign anywhere. So it's I just actually love the idea of half-orc Paladin. You know, their yeah. heart's in the right place. Uh, even if they, they, they came from a, a scenario of carnage and, uh, you know, or raised in an orphanage, but, you know. Raised, raised as an orphan by kindly monks and, you know, took a liking to uh, being a warrior of the faith. You know, a man of virtue still. Or woman. And, uh, also need to be said, uh, don't let those old school bullies push you around. Play what you want, man. Have fun with it. Jeez. Uh, with yeah. that, that'll bring us to the conclusion of our call-in. So thanks, everybody. There are literally tens of you now. Tens. <laughs> people out there listening to us. 
gosh. So <laughs> we are the wet cough of gaming. Oh. Passing, yeah, we're we're con crud. We're we're slowly spreading. <laughs> I had con crud once. Yeah, so um <laughs> on to our show tonight. So uh what are we doing? Oh what? my gosh. Uh we don't Are we doing superheroes again? Come on, tell me we're doing superheroes. Oh, you're gonna be happy about this. You're gonna be happy. I'm I we're gonna get to talk about superheroes, right? Come on. Well, are they super space heroes? Well, I mean, you can play heroes in space. Well, then... I mean, Silver Surfer was from space. Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, the old old ones, not the new guys. Not anything against the new guys. Love, love the new movies, but... Yeah. Yeah, so that we're going to do superheroes in space, right? I, I really don't want to steal your thunder and, and spoil your happiness, but no, we, we've got a lot of meat on the bone on this one. So much meat on the bone. This is the Kobe beef of Kobe old beef. school... Old school science fiction gaming. And it's a personal favorite of mine. What, what is it? Traveler. Oh. No, right. no super no space superheroes this time, huh? They got oh. they got psionics though. They got psionics. Yeah. So Professor X. Yeah. In space. How much more epic do you need? I, yeah. This is a Magneto? It it's well, not so much. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, so, all right, we're talking about Traveler. Well, then, let's get to it. Uh, Traveler, Traveler, Traveler. Wow, so many old-school gamers talk lovingly of Traveler, and yet so few have played it. Um, I will happily raz Traveler for some of its inadequacies, but that does not change my love for it, because I really enjoyed it at the time. It was our first science fiction role-playing game. Now, I know that... Uh, uh, Colin and Darian uh, had talked about Star Frontiers, and uh, mm -hmm. we, I had a, uh, I still have my box sets from it, but more to the point, we were already hip deep in Traveler, and Traveler was one of those games where I, somebody said, hey, there's a science fiction role playing game, and I'm like, wow, it's got ships and lasers in it, and well, yeah, it's got ships, they're kind of small. And there are lasers. But they're kind of... Kind of bulky. You know, this this is not uh, Han Solo with a blaster pistol. That It was it was a little bit of culture shock. Because yeah. if you were 70s kids that, uh, you know, the meat and drink was Star Wars. Uh, and, of course, a goodly measure of Star Trek. And I would also hazard a, a fair bit of, a fair bit of Buck Rogers on TV and Battlestar Galactica, you yep. know. These were the things you were cutting your teeth on, so they set your expectations pretty high. And then along came Traveler, and it was not at all. Unlike so many games that... I, I don't mean this as an insult, but it's going to come out a little crass-sounding, yeah. okay? I don't mean this harshly. Many games noticed a cultural interest in a particular subject... And then they drew heavily from it. Now, and D&D is not immune to this. You know, the old school AD&D has a bunch of sources in fantasy fiction literature uh, of the 30 to 50 years prior. Right. Traveler kind of broke the mold on this one. And I respect that a lot. Because you honestly couldn't cross-reference Traveler against a bunch of anything else. It's not a game based on the work of so-and-so. 
it is really very much their own product in their own way. And that's, <laughs> that's an impressive feat in any era. Yeah, you could take some inferences of the Foundation series or yeah. uh, even some of the Ensign Flaherty stuff from Poole Anderson oh. or, um, geez, what's the other one I'm thinking of? Uh, See, Ensign Flaherty was the one I was trying to think of earlier. Stainless Steel Rat. Ah, oh, yes. Oh, Harry Harrison, one of my favorites. Make so, room, make room. Soylent Green is people. Jupiter Plague. The guy was all over the 70s. Yeah, and also Greg Bear and uh, Fred Saberhagen doing some science fiction the stuff Forge with those. of God. Yep, and so there was... Traveler did have the one unique thing that, although it was kind of specific to its own sort of thing, you could fit various themes in it pretty easily, and it was very adaptable. Yeah, the earliest editions, uh, the very first few books, if you didn't have a lot to work with and hadn't filled in the blanks on the Imperium and everything else, uh, you had this template upon which you could build your own science fiction universe uh, at will. You know, and uh, the basics were just laid out there for you. Honestly, they took the two six-siders about as far as any human beings have ever taken them. Yeah, you could roll crystals with them. You could do uh, jet planet generation. Now, some of the required some uh, pretty heavy math, but again... <laughs> Um, just like modern systems, everybody's like, oh, it was simpler back in the old days. Oh, really? I, uh, <laughs> I looked at the charts of Traveler and, uh, you know, with the algebra algorithms in them, and that's some heavy math, so, yeah. Yeah, I, it, I'm not saying it was all math-centric. Uh, no. It wasn't like, <laughs> please consult subtable 32. No, it wasn't that bad, but they pushed using a pair of six-siders as far as I think any system has ever pushed them. Uh, and for that, they got a lot of mileage out of it. Yes, they did. Oh. And it was an elegant little system. It worked really well for all types of combat, from starship to fights in a cantina. Yeah, not hard to improvise, okay? Uh, you know, it, six simple stats are, well, really, you know, about five things that would qualify as stats and two things that are more like measurements of the situation, like education and social standing. Yeah. Uh, you know, your social standing, you know, functioned a bit more like charisma. In mm -hmm. that if you were polished and urbane, you know, you could get away with things if, if you were clever. Uh, but I I got a one little vent uh, against the old system was, my gosh, they were stingy on the skills. Mm -hmm. You know, four years in service and you you know, picked up two skills in your first term of service and then one skill per term of service. Like, four years to learn one thing. I got the carbine one. Really? That's all? Yeah. <laughs> that's what I did for four and years? That, and that's the other thing, is the the weapon system was... I mean, it works. I'm not going to sit here and, and, and poo-poo it. Oh, it um, functions. It functions just fine. And I liked it. I really did. But it was sparse. Uh... My grandfather, who had a little interest in modern role-playing games, thought, after uh, I uh, borrowed some books and showed it to him, he thought that uh, carbines, they still got carbines back. Jeez, you know, <laughs> has anybody heard of a you know assault rifle? 
Um, <laughs> blades and pole arms, okay. <laughs> Halberds in space. Yeah, so he kind of gave me an idea, and I wasn't in the military at the time, but later I got in the military, and I'm like, wow, you know, there's a lot of diverse types of weaponry here, and especially from assault all the way to uh, rifleman type weapons. Um, you know, I kind of compared a little bit to my time in the Marines as like, hey, this is kind of how it is. But I think I came out with more than just two skills. Oh, yeah. yeah and, and, but their system works. And that's what it really was about. Was once you kind of calmed your jets and just sat down and read the system, Traveler worked really well. And, you know, it wasn't meant to be a sprawling mass combat system of, you know, all types of weapons ever represented throughout history. Yeah, you could go to some planets and find them using blunderbusses and uh, primitive firearms. But uh, more importantly, um, humanity had spread out. And uh, you kind of had to learn a little bit about the game as you played it, which gave it a sort of aura of mystery. You didn't know what immediately to expect. So the other thing was is that Traveler sort of gave you the like a military background as a default. You were in the what Navy, the Marines, and the Army? Uh, Navy, Marines, Army, Scouts, Scouts Merchant, and Other, with the Other being either Criminal Underworld or Civilian Employment. Uh, and <laughs> man, you know, uh, the civilians get the short end of the stick. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you... You know, if you want to be skilled in uh, brawling and blade combat, uh, or maybe, maybe with some advanced uh, training, some some vehicle usage, gambling, or bribery, uh, <laughs> then sure, be a civilian. Uh, but if you wanted the butt-kicking skills for, you know, landing on planet, you had to get those in service. Uh, I like that they included scouts and merchant, uh, because those were really the only points of access for acquiring a ship as a piece of property. Yeah, and also travel didn't have the default setting that you assumed that you had a ship. And Correct. You could play various dip, uh, scenarios as you know, without a ship or just getting transport. Your DM could uh, basically tell you, feel like since none of you have a ship, uh, the DM is going to play the part of somebody hiring you to be on their ship and go planet hopping and exploring. Uh, yeah, and but let's talk about the elephant. We'll get back to the characters for a minute. Let's talk about the elephant in the room with Traveler. What does everybody remember about generating a character? <coughs> Sudden instantaneous death. Yep, going for that fourth <laughs> term of service as a naval officer, and you just die. Yes, death in service was a thing. And I mean, you know, <laughs> uh, there was a a chance on your uh, two-sided die roll that in each four-year term of service, before its completion, there was a chance that given the risks of a uh, life in, you know, military service, that you might pass away <laughs> of various causes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, a joke. Before getting out. <laughs> Even my grandfather got that joke. What, you can die in character creation? Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah, you died before your character even got played. Yeah. Um, that was one thing that definitely set it apart from other systems. Uh, uh, <laughs> training could be fatal. You know, I'm in the, the character crafting process. Oh, what? What? <laughs> okay. Well, 
Next set of dice. Next yeah, character sheet. in front of one. So <laughs> that was a thing. But to be honest, most people I knew that played Traveler just kind of sometimes just brushed that off to the side. Oh, sure. Uh, but the hilarity of it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I went through three character sheets before I made it to rolling dice for my first action in-game. Yep. Uh, no, that was that was well worth it. Yep, so, you know, being the snot-nosed punk that I was, I was always rolling for scouts and marines. Although, I did like uh, Traveler's broad scope of that it was a big universe out there and there was lots of things to do. And, boy, did Traveler bring it in spades when they gave you something to do. Finding new planets, scouting out resources for either a corporation or a government, or even a private individual. There were numerous things to do, and their modules reflected that very much. I mean, you there know, was they, just no pre, there was no pre-assumed default setting of starting. Yeah, this is not dungeon in space every time. This is you know, like okay, uh, you know, off-world safari. Welcome to the pouncer table of creatures. <laughs> Yipes! Yeah, and. Also, another complaint about early travelers, not a lot of aliens. Well, they did come up with some aliens and populate. Uh, Az- Aslan, the Kakri, the Varger, my favorite. Space wolves. Yes. Real space the wolves. The first space wolves. The Zodani. And three different ca- classes of uh, humans. The Sinic ones were the... Oh, the Salamni. Yeah. Yeah. The Zodani, weren't they? Oh, is that the Zodani? Yeah, Zodani, the Sionic humans. And that's the other part of Traveler, Psionics. You're right about the Professor X connotation. Yeah, uh, the Psionics in space had a... This is one where they did give a straight-up nod to the fiction of the time. Uh, although they they didn't seem bound by one particular system or by one particular source. Uh, they drew from, you know, kind of popular culture mm-hmm. at, at the moment. And they really cobbled together an interesting array of options. Uh, and I, I, I want to take a moment out to definitely note that they did not make psionic abilities a popular and well-loved local tradition. Uh, you know, the you punishment know. for unregistered psionics uh, could end in things like the character being promptly arrested and lobotomized. So, Hello, Warhammer 40,000. Yeah, you know, there, there were... There were shades of darkness in the uh, night of space. Uh. Yep, and the antecedents borrowed heavily from that, as we just spoke of Warhammer 40,000, the hatred of unregistered psychers, um, all that. Yeah. You know, it did, definitely they drew But it, it left room for, you know, like, hey, if you've got that, you know, uh, Spock Star Trek kind of, you know, like, I want to do the mind meld, uh, or... You know, the Jedi, I want to lift that object from afar. They had it in there to be used. So, you know, that aspect was in there, too. Space wizards. Mm. Who doesn't love space wizards? Well, if you have space wizards, then you have space ghosts. We (laughs) ought to know space ghosts. Coast to coast. (laughs) That astronauts. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, but there's a lot of good stuff in Traveler 4. Can you hear me, Major Tom? Can you hear me now? <laughs> Tell my wife I love her. She knows. Yeah, and there's a lot of other things um, that Traveler did probably first. 
Um, one of the infamous things that uh, I think that Traveler was renowned for was its planet generation system. Oh my gosh. Uh, this was a particularly noteworthy thing because they sort of acknowledged that at the dawn of the game, uh, before they had fleshed out a great deal more material, they made sure that they put the tools in your hands to create other places. And, you know, this gave you somewhere to go on your own without them selling you a supplement, okay? that It's terrific that they had supplements that came later. Yes. Well worth it. Much thanks for them. However, they were possessive of enough foresight to let people exercise their own creativity, which is a fine old tradition I strongly approve of. I think it's the biggest... If I were to define what it means to be old school, uh, it meant that, as a DM, you were going to show up and do some frickin' homework. Uh, yep. You know, this you is not handed to you on a silver platter. Roll up your sleeves, grab some dice, and start working. Yeah, you're, you're going to be working. Yeah, that pencil is going to be a nub before you're finished. <laughs> your knuckles will ache. Your fingers will bleed. <laughs> but you will do it. Uh, and... They did a marvelous job slapping together this system of simple planetary possibilities. And <laughs> uh, things like uh, different worlds with different cultures and differing technological levels. Uh, you know, whether it's like, welcome to medieval world, where all they've got are carts and wagons and whatnots, uh, you know, some sailing ships and... Uh, swords and clubs and pikes, and then you're you know, like starting to move up the ladder, and you get to things like dirigibles and fixed-wing aircraft and cars, and well, you know, once you get past a certain level, they're up there with you in the you know hovercraft and uh, early starships and things like that. And grab tanks. Yeah, grab tanks. Fucking <laughs> rock. If only you got that. Uh, I grab but, tank once. <laughs> Just once. Just once. Uh, terrain types, uh, animal attributes, animal sizes and types of weaponry. I, I'm looking at uh, the Far Future Enterprises re-release because my original travel book, traveler booklets, were wiped out in a minor flooding episode that had a lot to do with somebody's unattended bathtub issues in the, the apartment above mine about 20-odd years ago. Uh, still bitter. Very no, fond of those travel I, I books. Yeah, I'm not that kind of guy at all. Nobody would think that I would be that kind of cat that, yeah. was, that would be super bitter about something 20-odd years later. Yeah, but the thing about Traveler uh, World Generation that sparked me is that you just didn't like have Ocean World and Desert World and Frigid Arctic World. You know, each one of the planets that you generated out of it had a diverse ecosystem, if it had one at all. And to be honest, most planets were duds. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of them that, you like that, this is a gas giant. Nothing you can really do with it except fly through it. Or, you know, gather the that. gases or resources or whatnot off of it. Yeah, try skimming off of it, but uh, that's about all you could do. Uh, and I'm, then, of course, on to the other part, starship travel. And I say that with hesitation because my palms still get sweaty when I have to make a jump. Yeah, if uh, <laughs> if you thought the character creation tables could lead to fatalities, uh, talk about sweating uh, and 
shaken nerves when it came time to use a jump drive. Uh, because, let's remember, Traveler came out of that 1970s, 1980s zone. Uh, end of the 70s, dawn of the 80s. And obviously, space flight was a possibility, but uh, great distances were at that time beyond us. And the reality of rockets getting out of atmosphere, getting off the Earth, uh, involved a lot of fatalities. Uh, a lot of very amazing, dedicated people who had worked very hard to get the opportunity to be a part of a mission never made it off this planet. Uh, they never even, you know, they never made it to orbit. They went up and never came back. Uh, or, you know, were yeah. killed in explosions, uh, still, you know, not too far from the launching pad. Traveler, I think, inherited a little bit of that rather grim and realistic worldview regarding the dangers of, you know, it's human technology. It, things are only as good as we can build them and, you know, only as safe as the redundancies that we can build in to cover most possibilities. So things could go wrong. Why uh, <laughs> is your hyperspace ain't like Dustin Crops, boy? Yeah, you ain't a kidding, because uh, jump drives could go horribly awry with surprising ease. Yeah. The, the better quality gear, the better quality computers and things like that you had, uh, the better quality jump drive, the better off you were. But fair odds, just starting the game from scratch with uh, brand new characters, you're not likely to have that top-tier drive. Yeah. So... You know, the possibility existed every time you took off. That when you activate the jump drive to move to a, you know, great... Or to travel a great distance in a short period of time, it could wipe the whole party. Just pow! Ship dead. All yep. of you gone. What? Roll again. <laughs> Get your characters. Yeah, I guess we're going to generate some more characters. Hope I don't die in character yeah. creation. Yeah, showing up with a backup character was not a bad idea yeah. for, for Traveler 1. And yet I still loved it. Okay, I, I I say these things, but I say them with enormous affection. Because it raised the tension level. And we may have mentioned this uh, multiple times in some some earlier episodes. But a good level of tension where people are concerned about outcomes and players are engaged and are paying attention, that's a win. That is that is not a deficit. Uh, nobody likes losing an entire team of characters. Well, TPK, what killed you? A the rock. <laughs> we had a rock. A micromedia. <laughs> yep. So we all died horribly in space. Um, so, yeah, Traveler had, you know, a definite... Um, it was definitely grim at certain points, but it wasn't all like that. And we can wax eloquent about the deaths and uh, making a jump, but they were still a chance. And, you know, most of the time, as long as you uh, calculated your jump right or took the extra time, you were all right. You had a very, very low chance. But it was those quick jumps that you made, like, you know, you're getting jumped by pirates. And that brings me to another thing that uh, I was fond of. I wanted to play a pirate. And then I was quickly told that being a pirate was a death sentence. <laughs> and they are not kidding about that. 
Uh, Traveler's Universe appeared to have a general rule of thumb regarding piracy as literally the worst possible thing you could do in space, and that the best way to curb that kind of misconduct was to pretty much just instantly kill any pirate who was caught. Uh, so the odds of surviving to be a former pirate, uh, who is, you know, gone legit, pretty much nil. Because yeah. if anybody knew what you did at all, if word even got out, then you were toast. <laughs> yeah, now they did give a nod to Corsairs, privateers, who were had letters of mark and all that. Yeah, that if you were uh, literally in the service of some specific state, you know, if you were a, a registered uh, freebooter of some kind where it was an active conflict and you were a part of it, uh, legitimately in the service of a particular state, then yeah, you could get away with some, you know, which is mostly pillaging and then leaving them to fire the distress beacons and, you know, wait for help to show up. Yeah, you had a whole list of expectations. But, you could uh, murder the crew, you had to leave them in, in, with uh, basic first aid and supplies till the distress beacon came out. And, you know, then it kind of took the fun out of being a pirate. But, you know, <laughs> yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum, it wasn't happening in Traveler. And that's because, of course, they spelled out grim, the grim necessities that being left half alive on a ship that ha is basically leaking air and atmosphere into space is, you know, it's a slow, lingering death. And, uh, of course, that's why pirates are so hated. But at the other part was the uh, criminal enterprise. There was a lucrative... Uh, criminal enterprise to be made in Traveler as well. So you really had a lot now, of different things to do. Oh. Now that, yeah, that's a very good distinction is that a, a pirate is not just any kind of criminal. That is somebody that, you know, condemns people to death in space by the most horrible means. Uh, uh, be it, well, swift or slow, but, uh, you know, they're actually a threat to civilization itself, you know, yeah. like interstellar commerce. Uh, so that was dealt with super harshly. However, this does not mean that there is no such thing as a criminal underworld. There very much is. And any civilian could come from a criminal underworld background or a civilian Space employment. mafia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it, it was a lot of fun. And Let me make you an offer you can't possibly refuse. No, I mean that. You can't possibly refuse this. Good old Prevo 2 for one. Well, nothing. Stay alive, anyway. Yeah. I, you know, you, do you like being alive? I like being alive for the most part. Like I mean, that. you know, when I'm dead, I don't get to do stuff, so. Yeah, so. <laughs> you got me at the being alive part. So, uh, yeah, so, but, you know, that was the thing, is that so much was be able to be done with the system that potentially the sky was the limit. And that's what made Traveler so beloved by many people, is that, you know, if you had an idea for something, you wanted to run a criminal caper like the Sting, or you wanted to run a heist or a smuggling outfit, or... You know, even just uh, do stuff like being a mercenary, you know, fighting uh, for whoever's the highest bidder on a war on a corporate front. Yeah, that, you know, I'm answering that page in, uh, you know, uh, Space Mercenaries magazine. Yep. <laughs> uh, Star Soldier of Fortune. Well, you know, those were options and everything was on the table. They really, uh, even just a, a subsistence on trade, which I, I know is boring to some people. Uh, but the mechanics of uh, traveling with a merchant trade ship and moving goods from planet to planet, uh, 
and being a successful businessman was also out there. I mean, and that's not exactly what most people think of as high adventure, but they at least included it in the options. Yeah, was, like uh, finding out for my scout ship that uh, I could uh, make money cold berthing passengers. Yes. Uh, albeit, I think the scout ship wasn't so much for cold berth, but the, uh, what was it, the... Uh, free trader. Yeah, the free trader. The little free trader ship... Uh, you could convert some of that space to mm -hmm. uh, cold berths where you could, you know, put people in storage and still maintain a bit of room for merchandise. Yeah. Just maybe not the bulky I still stuff. believe those two people who died on my cold berth. <laughs> ah, well, I was like, you're like, oh, it happens. Well, yeah, that doesn't mean I don't feel bad. Yeah. I was captain of the ship, man. That's my right. watch. I don't feel like that. I didn't do anything. But yeah, see, that's the whole thing, and that's why people love Traveler. Now, as we're getting close to our limit here, we're going to oh, wrap yes. it up a little bit. I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the games that came out of Traveler, Battletech, especially the low-impact uh, science fiction. You know, space travel took a long time, and jump ships, you know, were kind of off-limits. You didn't attack them in space combat. And, of course, mechs, you know, just dropping across place, blowing each other apart. That was a lot of fun, but... <laughs> a lot of things I, I got from Traveler I seen in Battletech. And then also in Warhammer 40,000. Now, Warhammer 40,000, people say, well, it's just a completely different game. Well, sure, yeah, oh, it's extrapolated. Sure. But the whole idea of people being adverse to psychers and you had to be registered and all that comes right from Traveler. And the Warhammer cats who really started that, they were not afraid to use our favorite axiom, good artists don't borrow, they, they steal. steal. And they stole a lot of stuff from Traveler. Yeah, and, and I don't... And fair enough. It was and, great material. Look, it's not like they copied verbatim, which no. is actual plagiarism. You know, and it, it's not like uh, copyright intrusion where you took oh, a, no, no, a, no. a specific core concept. It's, it's extremely different. They took some uh, ideas and ran with it. They took considerable inspiration from other sources of the time, and they put their own incredibly unique stamp on it, which... It's also mixed with 2000 AD. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, and you could tell those cats loved 2000 oh, oh, AD. Yeah, they were in Great Britain. Uh -huh. so, you know, yeah, that was a big thing. Judge Dredd and all that. Uh -huh. you know. And there was also a lot of tongue-in-cheek in Warhammer 40,000. There was a lot of kind of grim humor that was meant in there. <laughs> like, no one expects an Imperial Inquisition. Da -da! <laughs> Fear, terror, surprise, and ruthless efficiency. Oh, wait, that's four. <laughs> Three major, four major weapons. <laughs> the Imperial Inquisition. Yes. Uh, they had a, a charming sense of humor over at uh, Games Workshop. They really, those those early works of theirs were just peppered with their, you know, smart remarks. <laughs> uh, little backhanded nods to this and that. And, you know, if you're, if you're wired into them, you know, you'll spot them. But, yeah, they, they took their inspiration, too. And the reason I still have this lingering affection for Traveler is because uh, it was one of those first causes, one of those mm -hmm. moments where a game came out and then nothing was quite the same afterwards. Uh, no. Everybody looks back to it uh, as, like, the wellspring. It is. And, you know, without Traveler... You wouldn't have some other games, but I'm not going to say that like Star Frontiers wouldn't have come out. Metamorphosis Alpha, obviously, a big science fiction game that was a groundbreaker for putting real science fiction in there, mixed with mutations. But hey, you know, that's what you get on a healthy dose of X-Men and uh, Chocolate Frosted 
well, cocoa puffs in the morning. I mean, and hey, let let you know, you take your free trader with a mingled crew of uh, civilians and ex-military personnel, uh, planet hopping on uh, trips where they take passengers or mm -hmm. merchandise for profit. I, you just got the plot of Firefly right there. Hell okay? yeah. I'm just saying that the echoes of Traveler are everywhere. Yeah, it rippled a lot through people. So next time you hear about Traveler and you hear all the jokes about dying in character creation or <laughs> dying during a jump, uh, you know, yeah, those things happen, but Traveler was a hell of a lot of fun and it deserves the place as a, one of the crown jewels of gaming fun. A protean dawn of gaming joy. And uh, there's a lot of people that still play today. There's a reason. It's a complete game. It is, you know, you can take any edition of Traveler and play it and it stands on its own. And that's the highest compliment that can be paid to any role-playing game. So... As we're coming on our time limit here, we've taken some loving time to glowingly reflect and talk about Traveler. We also want to thank you, our listeners, all ten of you, uh, for calling in and giving us feedback. Now, uh, as we do these podcasts, of course, we're not doing this for money or fame. We just want to get our message out here and just share with you some of our love and affection for role-playing as well as just gaming in general. Yeah, mission number one. Talk about games, which is totally a thing we already do. Yeah, we, uh, we, we can do that without uh, any recording at all. Uh, but it's also fun to meet a lot of other people who share the same interests and really dig these games. Yeah, uh, so and that part has been enormously exciting for me, at least. Tim Shorts and C. Thorne, wherever you are, you madmen. Gygax, bless you. And, uh, of course, <laughs> this brings us to the end of the podcast, so may the dice always, always roll in your, your favor. favor. Have a great week. We're weekend. out. We're out. See ya.